Browns, talking birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 535. Thought we'd start off with an item from the Talking Birds email bag. It's from Dick Barkey in nearby Situate, Massachusetts, who says, Ray, we have two young, sharp-shinned hawks in the yard. The feathers are all new, and they're awkward with their new bodies. They are perching on my canopy and gutters and planting table and on my wife's car. They're quite tame and often perch within feet of us. And then Dick says, the show keeps getting better and better. I'm not sure if he means our radio show or the show being put on by the sharp-shinned hawks uh, there in the yard. I think he means our show, though. In fact, I'm sure he does. (laughs) Anyway, you can see one of those sharpies perched on the roof of the car on our Talking Birds Facebook page. Meanwhile, Ellen Theologies, following us on Facebook from New York City, writes in in reference to our comments of a couple of weeks ago about our being attacked by a mockingbird. She says, Every time I take the dog for a walk in Hudson River Park, we are dive-bombed by mockingbirds. I actually have stopped going because it was so scary the last time. Sounds like a wise choice, Ellen, although we're getting to the end of the nesting season, so I'm thinking it might be safe to go back out there now. That was not Ellen's voice, by the way. That was the voice of our new associate producer, Debbie Bleacher. Debbie, thank you. That was uh, beautifully done and certainly deserves uh, a round of applause there. Thank you. We'll be hearing a lot more from uh, Debbie on subsequent uh, Talking Birds shows. Well, back on July 11th, your humble Talking Birds host made a fourth appearance on NPR's Weekend Edition Saturday, where we talked about birds' influence on music, especially classical music. And here's a note we received after that show. It says, in part, I'm curious if you think one part of Leonard Bernstein's Candide might have been inspired by the song of the Brown Creeper. For many years, in March or April, when I heard the first Brown Creeper sing, I was reminded of some classical piece of music. Then, while attending the Portland Symphony performance, listening to the overture, For Candide, I was electrified to hear one short passage that was, for me, the Creeper's song. Finally identified. She sent us a YouTube video, and uh, we're going to put this together for next week's show, and we can listen to the Brown Creeper and that little bit of Candide, and we'll see if we all think, uh, as Johanna does, that, uh, I don't know, it was maybe inspired by the Brown Creeper. It's from Johanna Vino. I think she's around the Portland, Maine area. Thank you for that, Johanna. Well, at the risk of sounding as though we're fawning over a movie star, we'd like to offer a conservation salute to just such a star. It's not the first time we've saluted this gentleman, but we think he deserves it. He is Leonardo DiCaprio, and we salute him again because his foundation has provided $15 million in grants to organizations implementing innovative and impactful conservation projects around the globe. 
The foundation says that this new round of grants includes funding solutions to protect key species and threatened marine and terrestrial ecosystems and empowering indigenous communities to be long-term stewards and protectors of their natural resources. 15 million, that's a pretty good chunk of change. So a Talking Birds conservation salute here to Leonardo DiCaprio and his foundation. We're taking the Talking Birds elevator up to the third floor now, up past home appliances, sporting goods, and personal care products to visit the Talking Birds swag department. Now, here's the thing. Lots of listeners have told us they'd like to, they'd like us to offer Talking Birds merchandise, a.k.a. swag, and we would like to do it. Here's our dilemma. We, of course, want to offer an item that's environmentally friendly, and a number of listeners have suggested wisely no doubt that we should offer something that won't add to the waste stream and to the filling up of landfills when the item reaches uh, the end of its lifespan. So what eco-friendly item should we offer? We're asking you, our Talking Birds listeners, for your suggestions and brilliant ideas. So please let us know. And if we choose the item you suggest, We'll send one of those, one of those items to you with our compliments. A random drawing will determine the recipient in case of duplicate, brilliant ideas. But do let us know what kind of swag uh, from Talking Birds should we offer. Still to come on our show today. Well, many of the birds found in Hawaii and only Hawaii have gone extinct. And many more are endangered or threatened We'll find out why all that is so and what's being done about it when we welcome the American Bird Conservancy's George Wallace to our show this morning. We'll also present our regular features like our Mystery Bird Contest and give away a fabulous feeder from Droll Yankees. And Let's Ask Mike with Mike O'Connor from the fabulous Birdwatchers General Store on Cape Cod. And up next, a bird with a scary voice and an even scarier bill is today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Right, class, what's the first thing we notice about the green heron? Yes, Bobby? Well, uh, it ain't really green. It isn't really green. Yeah, that's what I said. It ain't really green. There he is, stalking stealthily through the shallows, then freezing, then spearing an unsuspecting fish who never knew what hit him. The green heron, for whom it's not easy being green, Maybe that's why he's really blue. Well, maybe blue-green, and that's on the back, but what's more noticeable is the thick chestnut-colored neck, and of course that very heron-like stiletto of a bill. Male and female are similar and sport black crown feathers. That's at the top of the head, sometimes with a bushy crest that looks a little like a mohawk haircut. The green heron is about 14 to 19 inches long with a wing spread of about two feet. Look for yellowish-orange legs and feet. And if you're a small fish, just look out. Don't mess with the green heron. This week's featured feathered friend here on Talking Birds. Thanks again for being with us here in our show number 535. We hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Talking Birds. And by the way, we finally begun posting pictures from our recent uh, photo contest. 
So check the one. We have at least um, we're starting to put the runners up on there, and then we'll have the winners on Facebook. And we have, uh, I think, all of the pictures on uh, Instagram right now, and some fabulous photos they are. Well, we think of Hawaii as a lush, verdant place, birds filling the forests with their songs, and that's true, but native birds have suffered tremendous losses and are facing continued and increasing threats to their survival. American Bird Conservancy tells us that of all the endangered species in the U.S., more than a third are found only in Hawaii. Well, tell us more about the threats and the status of these Hawaiian birds. We welcome Dr. George Wallace, Vice President for Oceans and Islands for the American Bird Conservancy. Good morning, George. Good morning, Ray. Great to have you on with us, George. Thank you. And we just wonder about the status of these birds. I've been reading that of 71 species found only in the Hawaiian Islands, 23 have gone extinct, 30 endangered or threatened. That doesn't leave very many in good shape, does it? No, I'm afraid it doesn't, Ray. Um, it may even be worse than that, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, prior to the arrival of humans to the Hawaiian Islands, uh, there were probably at least 142 species of birds which were endemic to Hawaii. That is wow. found only there. Mm -hmm. And uh, at least 50% of those went extinct before Europeans arrived, that is, uh, after the arrival of Polynesians. Mm -hmm. And now only one-third of uh, endemic species remain. Uh, it's, it's a bleak picture, I'm afraid, and it gives uh, Hawaii the uh, unfortunate distinction of being the, the bird extinction capital of the world. Mm -hmm. Wow, what a distinction uh, to have. Well, uh, 30 endangered species right now, and as you said, these are endemic species, meaning they are only in Hawaii, so obviously they can't be replaced by birds from some other locations. No, that's absolutely right. These are these are really, you know, world, these are global treasures. These are things that exist only in Hawaii. Um, they're, you know, in our 50th state, um, and uh, their their care and, and future really depends uh, on us. And, uh, and that's why we're so concerned about uh, sort of getting more people uh, across the country concerned about these, uh, these really magnificent birds. Mm -hmm. Well, 142 endemic species at one time until humans arrived on the scene. So obviously the human connection is, is huge here. Um, how, how do we describe in, in more detail the, the cause uh, of those extinctions and those threats up, up until now? Right. Well, you know, like, uh, like other oceanic islands uh, around the globe, Hawaii uh, is among the most um, isolated island groups in the world. And it emerged from, uh, you know, from basically as volcanoes uh, created in the middle of the ocean out over a, a, uh, a hot spot in the, uh, in the Pacific Ocean. And everything that, every animal that colonized Hawaii basically had to fly or float to get there. So uh, that means that, um, that Hawaii, uh, Hawaii's situation evolved without certain animals that we sort of take for granted. There were, there were no native uh, terrestrial mammals, except for a single bat species, which flew there. Um, there are no amphibians or reptiles, except for marine turtles. Um, so when Polynesians arrived, um, there were basically naive birds there. They, they really had evolved without any of the usual predators that we think about uh, as being common, like raccoons and skunks and foxes. Um, and the Polynesians brought with them uh, Polynesian rats. Um, they also brought pigs with them. And, uh, and then when the Europeans followed in the late 1700s, uh, they brought with them uh, ca 
cows, pigs, sheep, goats, uh, and all of these things have taken an incredible toll on the Hawaiian uh, avifauna, um, both by <coughs> direct predation, but also by degradation of the habitat. Um, think about all the cows, sheep, goats, etc., um, basically eating and degrading the, the native habitat. Well, you talk about these birds being naive when these first humans arrived. I imagine it was it was it like uh, what it would be like to go to the Galapagos Islands now, where the birds, uh, you know, exhibited no fear. Sure, yeah, that that would have been the case. And uh, for Polynesian voyagers who had uh, journeyed uh, literally thousands of miles across the Pacific, um, when they you know encountered uh, birds like the uh, Moanalu, a, uh, a large flightless goose. Um, it would have been easy picking, and uh, and it, you know it's quite understandable actually that uh, they would have been viewed as uh, as easy food. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the you know the Europeans that followed uh, brought their own threats, as I mentioned. They brought one other uh, key threat, which persists to this day as well, and that's uh, mosquitoes. Mosquitoes were not originally uh, native to the Hawaiian Islands, and uh, they were brought in casks of water, um, perhaps arriving at uh, about the early 1800s, and um, and <clears throat> with those mosquitoes and with many of the introduced bird species that were brought also by Europeans over many decades, uh, avian malaria arrived in the Hawaiian Islands, and avian pox virus, and these are two diseases that um, that native Hawaiian birds have little or no resistance to, and those diseases have also taken an incredible toll on bird populations. I think you even, uh, when we talked earlier, George, uh, about a, a specific date of 1826 when it was known that, I think, what, a shipment of uh, barrels of water was brought in, and that may have been the very time when that mosquitoes... That may have been it, yeah, to, to Maui in 1826, mm-hmm. and uh, that's, that's the date that's often assigned. Um, it's quite incredible, but I guess about that time, people started to notice that there were mosquitoes. Well, the research uh, on malaria important for birds, and obviously there are people who care about that and want to work on it, but to um, maybe get the attention of the rest of the world, it's important for maybe people to understand that research uh, associated with birds and malaria could really apply to human disease. Well, that's right. That's right. Um, and, you know, our concern at this point is that with rising temperatures due to, uh, due to climate change, uh, we may see mosquitoes reaching higher and higher elevations in Hawaii, mm-hmm. uh, thus reducing the amount of habitat available to native birds. And, and so there's great concern about trying to address the mosquito issue. And uh, yes, many scientists believe that um, if we could develop techniques for controlling mosquitoes uh, in Hawaii and uh, apply that to the bird disease system, if you will, um, <clears throat> that may give us a lot of insights about how to control uh, mosquitoes and human malaria. So there's a, a lot of interest in that respect. Mm-hmm. So in addition to that mosquito work, what what else, George, is being done, or what efforts are being put forth to save the surviving species in Hawaii? Well, there's there's a lot of work being done, and there are a great many uh, really you know committed uh, conservationists in Hawaii um, operating. I will say under very very limited resources. Um, you mentioned Hawaii as a paradise, and um, Unfortunately, that's the way most people think of it. So uh, Hawaii is sort of out of sight and out of mind in, in, uh, in terms of the way people think about conservation priorities in the United States. We don't often think of Hawaii as being important. Um, but, you know, with one-third of all listed bird species 
Uh, Hawaiian birds receive only about 5% of, set of state and federal funding that goes to recovery actions. But, um, so there's a real money need there uh, and an awareness-raising need. Uh, but in spite of that, you know, there is a lot of good work being done. Um, I was very proud to be a, a part of a, of a wonderful project that uh, started actually quite a few years ago, but really got off the ground in 2011 and 12, uh, when with the Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, we moved 50 miller birds from the island of Nihoa uh, in the northwestern Hawaiian Islands and took them by ship uh, over 600 miles to the island of Laysan hmm. and uh, to create a new population of, uh, of the endangered miller bird on the island of Laysan. And uh, that project has been a phenomenal success. Those birds have literally tripled in number, uh, maybe more by this time. That was, uh, that was the number as of last year. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're optimistic that that's going to be a strong population. Um, there's some, some great forest restoration work going on um, on the island of Maui um, at a place called Awahi. There's a terrific partnership among private landowners and uh, state agencies and, and others, um, and many, many volunteers that are working to restore uh, native forest habitat at Oahe. Um, and another example I can throw out is that uh, on the big island, the island of, of Hawaii, um, we're working with the state, uh, the Division of Forestry and Wildlife, to uh, improve habitat conditions for the palila, one of the endemic Hawaiian honey creepers. And uh, there, the job is to fence, literally put a fence all the way around the Mauna Kea volcano, over 50 miles of fencing, um, to prevent non-native sheep from getting into the habitat that's critical for the palila, and also removing the sheep that are in that habitat and degrading the forest. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's some good stuff to do. We, you know, like I say, we need more resources, uh, but I think the, you know, the, the knowledge and commitment is there. We know many of the things that are needed. Um, and, uh, but there's a tremendous amount to be done. Well, it's dire, as you say, but uh, some reason for, for optimism there nonetheless. Absolutely. Now, Hawaiian birds can be saved if we apply uh, you know, our knowledge and uh, increase the resources available. Dr. George Wallace is Vice President for Oceans and Islands for the American Bird Conservancy. George, thank you so much, and thank you for your great work. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Ray. Thanks for having me. Coming up next here on Talking Birds, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Here's an idea for the next time you're shopping for wild bird food. Look for the Audubon Park brand, a top choice among bird lovers for more than 40 years. That's because Audubon Park wild bird seed is the finest kind, with more than a dozen selections to choose from, including the popular fruit and nut, songbird and cardinal, and no-waste patio blends. Human development and climate change are having increasing impacts on wild birds. Feeding the hummers, chickadees, goldfinches, cardinals, and all the beautiful and fascinating birds in your backyard really helps them survive and thrive. All of Audubon Park's products meet the highest quality standards in the industry and have earned early compliance with the FDA's Food Safety Modernization Act. And Audubon Park products are easy to find at your supermarket, lawn and garden store, farm and feed market, and online retailers. For more information, visit AudubonPark.com. Com. That's AudubonPark.com. Audubon Park Wild Bird Food is made right here in the USA. Get some for your backyard birds today. Audubon Park Wild Bird Food. 
Talking Birds is made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. On the Mystery Bird Contest, you're eligible if you haven't been a winner here on Talking Birds in the past six months. And if you're not hearing us live, by the way, just remember you can hear our show live online every week, wherever you are. Just go to TalkingBirds.com to see how to do it. It's really easy. Our number, we urge you to call early in the program. We're behind schedule this morning. What else is new? 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. Our prize is the beautiful Droll Yankees Onyx Clever Clean Niger Seed Finch Magnet, which, as we like to say, attracts birds like a magnet. That's our prize this morning. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. Now, a squeaky-sounding bird. It's a small, long-winged, stocky songbird with a small bill, long-pointed wings, a dark throat, square tail, and a pale orange rump. Our bird is dark blue-black on the crown and back and base of throat, underparts dull white, usually has a light brown collar around the neck. It builds gourd-shaped nests out of mud on buildings and cliffs and under bridges and feeds by catching insects in flight. That last part, pretty strong clues there. We hope you pick up on them. If you know what it is, by all means, tell us. Or if you want to take a guess at it, that's cool too because the drawing will determine our winner. If no, correct answer is received. So the thing to do would be to call and tell us or take your guess. 781-837-4900 is the number. And our prize is that beautiful Droll Yankees Onyx Clever Clean Niger Seed Finch Magnet. Guaranteed to bring goldfinches and other beautiful birds to your backyard. 781-837-4900 is the number. Meanwhile, how to get noticed. Our topic for Let's Ask Mike in just one minute. Right in Boston's backyard lies a magnificent resource where you can walk a Civil War-era fort, explore tide pools, and camp under the stars. Once known as the city's hidden gem, the Boston Harbor Islands National Park area has become the go-to urban escape for tourists and residents alike. It's a marvelous destination for birders, offering a huge variety of migrating and nesting species that can be viewed independently or during free ranger-guided bird walks on Saturday mornings. The islands are home to other wildlife, too, including deer, fox, coyote, rabbits, raccoons, muskrats, squirrels, and harbor seals. There are countless activities for non-birders as well, like hiking on miles of trails, sunny beaches, ocean fishing, concerts, beer tastings, and programs for the whole family. 34 islands, 3,000 acres, endless fun and exploration, all minutes from Boston. Find out more at bostonharborislands.org. Well, let's check in with Mike O'Connor down in Orleans there at the Bird Watchers General Store on Route 6A. Good morning, Mike. Good morning to you, Ray. People have put bird feeders up for the first time, and then they sit there and going, hey, yeah. aren't there supposed to be birds here? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and you wait, well, you can wait for weeks sometime before the first bird will show up, right? Absolutely. So uh, is there a way to kind of uh, speed up the process to help uh, people's feeders get noticed? Yeah, what I tell people to do is uh, make the feeder a bigger target as possible by maybe... Uh, if you have a picnic table or a bench or just a board or something you can, or a tray you can scatter some bird seed on, because mm-hmm. birds 
don't smell the bird seed. They just it's all visual, mm-hmm. so they have to actually see it. And depending on your bird feed, a lot of bird feeders look odd to the birds, and they wouldn't think, okay, this this metal tube somehow has food in here for mm-hmm. me, so I'm going to go mm-hmm. look at it. They'll eventually find it, but what I tell people is to, you know, broadcast some seed on the ground, put it on a tray, or you know, like a picking kibble works great, just underneath the feeder, and mm-hmm. the birds will land, and they'll keep coming, and then they'll look up and say, oh. Here's a, a better place for it. it you takes could a tr- turn your whole picnic table into a bird feeder. That, that's thing. fine. You know, a big mm. tray is great. Yeah. You get a lot of different birds. Yeah. But a lot of people aren't as, uh, you, you know, obliging that everything that flies will come to a, they'll come to the picnic table. So eventually they're just going to want small birds or whatever their problem is. And so then they'll just like them at the feeder. Um, or eventually they're going to want to have a picnic and then birds are going to be all over. <laughs> so, um Make a big target, and the other problem I get is people will buy a new feeder. They'll have a feeding program, three or four feeders, and they'll buy a new one, and they get instantly upset when the birds don't come right away. Mm. And birds are used to coming with, I mean, uh, come to what they're used to coming to. It's like we all sit at the same chair at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Birds go to the, what they know is safe and comfortable and offer a food source for them. So if you get a new feeder, let the other feeders go empty. So they come and ah, they say, well, there's nothing okay. here. Let me try this new one. Force feeding. For, yeah. What was the word? Force feeding. You know, well, you're forcing them to feed. Oh, that I was hearing horse. For some oh, reason. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, uh, we have that next week. That, oh. that question. But, uh, what about putting something flashy out there to attract them? Does that work? Like an aluminum foil thing, I've heard. I guess you could, you know, like a pie plate. Pie yeah. plates are good. The trouble pie is they plate. blow away, so you're going to have yeah. to fasten and put a rock in it or mm. tack it down somehow. Oh, all, all that is good, sure. Yeah. Oh, sure. That, anything that presents a big target, and then mm-hmm. usually the first bird will be the chickadee, and they make those little feeding chips, and then everybody goes, uh-oh, the chickadee mm-hmm. found something good. Let's go mm-hmm. check it out. Yeah, all right. But guys, keep, keep, yeah, just be patient, and if you get some bad weather, you might have to kind of clean up the seed a little bit that's in the feeder if it gets out to get wet but when they once they find it you'll be in good luck they're there all right mike thank you and we'll talk to you next week next week i'm psyched already all right yeah bye send your question to mike and we'll send you a signed copy of his great book why do bluebirds hate me just send your question by email to ray at talkingbirds.com no g in talking and speaking of picnic tables we're going to put something on our talking birds blog on our website about something called the patagonia picnic table effect It's kind of an interesting thing. Back here to the mystery bird contest. Trying to identify this mystery bird. Sounds like just like a a creaking chair or something. But in this case, it's a small, uh, long-winged, stocky songbird with a small bill, long pointed wings, uh, dark throat, square tail, and a pale orange rump. A dark blue-black on the crown and back and the base of the throat. Underparts dull white. Usually has a light brown collar around the neck. It builds gourd-shaped nests out of mud on buildings and cliffs and under bridges and feeds by catching insects in flight. Let's see if Ben and Lawrence knows what it is. Good morning, Ben. Hi, John. Yes, I've made a race. Yeah, that's yeah, all right. My guess would be sandpiper. Sandpiper. Uh, not this time, Ben. Oh, really? But uh, we thank you for the guests, and we hope you'll try us again. Ray, can I give you a quick question? Yeah, real quick. Okay. Can you make a pet out of a grackle? We can had a severe cold rainstorm <laughs> a few months ago. Yeah. And the desk came down, and all four siblings died. Oh, my One gosh, survived. yeah. It probably should them. be better to return them to a, a wildlife rehabilitator. It's not really legal to keep any birds like that, because that's, that's a protected bird, a grackle, okay. under the Migratory Bird Species Act. Well, he can't but, fly very well. Yeah. Shall I bring yeah, him to I the MSPCA? T- 
uh, you know, get to find a bird rehabilitator. There are a number of them around, but you could probably find one. Uh, MSPCA could tell you where to find one. Okay, right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. All right, we let's go to Steve way up in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Ray. How are things in Toronto? Great. The weather's beautiful. Oh. a great summer up here. Oh, very nice. Probably a little cooler than uh, down here. Yeah, well, the last couple of days have been pretty hot. So yeah. All right. we're loving it. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Mystery bird, Steve. What do you think? Cliff Swallow. All right. You're not thinking, you're saying. You're telling. You've already <laughs> thought of that. <laughs> nice work. Cliff Swallow's Thank around you. uh, your way? Yeah, there's actually a big park right by our house that uh, they build all their nests along the water treatment plant. Nice. At the edge of the park, so. All right. We Good. saw them about two weeks ago. Very nice. Steve, stay on the line. We'll get your address and send you that beautiful Droll Yankees feeder. Great. Thank all you. Right. All right. Thank you, Steve. Cliff Swallow, our mystery bird. Next week's show, a National Audubon scientist explains why the number one threat to birds is now climate change. National Audubon's Tom Auer will be with us next week here on our show. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, don't forget to check out our Facebook page and Twitter and Instagram and uh, look for that blog about the Patagonia picnic table effect on our website. As always, we appreciate your feedback and please tell us about what swag we can offer that's eco-friendly. We'd appreciate that so much so we can get that nice stuff out to you. Executive producer of Talking Birds, Mark Duffield. Our associate producer, Debbie Bleacher. Our engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Ray Brown's Talking Birds, I love that show.